marveled that he talked with the woman. And upon this came his disciples, and marveled that he talked with the woman. Yet no man said, What seekest thou, or why talkest thou with her? The woman then left her water-pot, and went her way into the city, and saith to the men, Come, see a man which told me all things that ever I did. Is not this the Christ? Then they went out of the city, and came unto him. In the meanwhile his disciples prayed him, saying, Master, eat. But he said unto them, I have meat to eat that ye know not of. Therefore said the disciples one to another, Hath any man brought him aught to eat? Jesus saith unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me, and to finish his work. Say not ye, There are yet four months, and then cometh harvest? Behold, I say unto you, Lift up your eyes, and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. And he that reapeth receiveth wages, and gathereth fruit unto life eternal that both he that soweth and he that reapeth may rejoice together. And herein is that saying true, One soweth and another reapeth. I sent you to reap that whereon ye bestowed no labor. Other men labored, and ye are entered into their labors. And many of the Samaritans of that city believed on him for the saying of the woman which testified, He told me all that ever I did. So when the Samaritans were come unto him, they besought him that he would tarry with them. And he abode there two days, and many more believed because of his own word, and said unto the woman, Now we believe, not because of thy saying, for we have heard him ourselves, and know that this is indeed the Christ, the Savior of the world. So we have in John chapter 4, and I wanted to take a, a moment uh, in your prayers this next week. I want you to remember uh, Tim. Uh, Tim is at home. He's sick. Uh, this morning, and you know pretty much that if uh, Tim's at home sick, that he has to be sick because he never misses. And then also we need to uh, remember uh, David Phelps because he's at home as well, and we need to be uh, continually praying for him. But as we look at this, as we see the, uh, you know, the continuation of this conversation that goes on with the woman at the well, we're seeing uh, the, the, the conversation all of a sudden switch from where Jesus was talking to the woman at the well to where the disciples are coming back with lunch. And they all of a sudden, and they see... In verse 27, they see Jesus speaking with this woman. And I say this woman because of the fact that at this time, uh, and it, you know, because obviously racism and all that kind of stuff has ceased, you know, ever since that point. It, it, it doesn't continue. But they see him talking to this woman. He's talking to her, not only is he talking to her, but it's one on one. And she's a Samaritan, which at this time period. Because of Jesus being a rabbi, nor known as a rabbi, he's in a higher position. For him to be talking to a woman, and let alone a Samaritan woman, is considered to be scandalous. It's considered to be a scandalous thing because you don't talk to a woman one-on-one when you're in that position, let alone a Samaritan. And yet Jesus doesn't care. Jesus goes on and begins to talk to her and begins to share that you know, no matter what happens, you can worship God. And it doesn't matter where you're at. Or whatever happens. In verse 28, it says, The woman then left her water pot and went her way into the city, and uh, saying to the men. What does she do? When Jesus figures it out, when Jesus calls her out of her sin, because she doesn't shy away, he doesn't shy away from the fact of calling what she's doing wrong. Oftentimes we, have, we, we don't want to offend somebody by, by calling what their sin is, sin. And so he calls it out. He says, uh, you know, he, 
she goes back and she, uh, she tells him, uh, she tells him um, sir, the man I'm with is not my husband. And he says, you, you have said it right. You've been married five times, and the one you're with now is not your husband. He doesn't back off of it. He doesn't, he doesn't all of a sudden sit back there and you know, go, ooh, I don't want to really talk about the fact that she's this kind of woman. Jesus actually addresses it, but he also says that, you know what? You're really wanting to worship God, and this is the way that you're going to go about it. So after he reveals it, calls out her sin, he does, uh, her desire is to be viewed as the same as the Jewish people, as God's people. She wants to be known, uh, she wants to be able to worship God without having that stigma on her. She wants to be able to worship God like everybody else. But, you know, the thing is, is that Jesus views her not as an inferior race, but as a person. And the thing is, is that what does she do? She knows that she's met the Messiah, the Christ. She's met the Savior while doing a menial task like fetching water. You know, there are times where you can actually meet the Lord while you're doing, quote-unquote, menial tasks. You don't have to be in, you know, in church in order to meet with the Lord or encounter the Lord. If you hang around, uh, you know, some people, like I think of, there's times throughout the week where I'll, uh, I'll go hang out, you know, with uh, Miss Pat. Miss Pat doesn't know, she's not always doing children's church over there. She's not always doing that. But you know what? If you're around her long enough, you know that she doesn't care what she's doing. She's going to encounter the Lord. And that's the same kind of mindset that, you know, that we have to have. She goes out there expecting to just go get water. She runs into a guy. She's like, oh, great. She's going out there during the heat of the day thinking there's not going to be anybody out here to, to make fun of me again you know, about something. And it's like, oh, great, there's a guy over here. Oh, and now he wants me to get him with some water, too. That entire, that entire conversation transforms her, her, her life while doing a menial task. And here's the thing, is that she doesn't wait to go somewhere. She literally drops everything. Verses 20, uh, 29 and 30 says this. It says, Come see a man which told me all the things ever I did. Is this not the Christ? Then they went out of the city and came unto him. She doesn't wait. She drops everything. She tells everybody about Jesus. We have ones going, oh, I don't know enough about Jesus. The only thing that she knows is that she had a conversation at the well. That's it. And she, then all of a sudden she goes, this is the Messiah. You don't need to have a doctorate or a Bible college degree or anything else to tell anybody about Jesus. You just need to know him. That's all you need to know. You need to know about what he did in you. And that's all she does. She goes, you know what? This guy told me everything that I, that I ever did. What is, she, what is she actually saying? Jesus doesn't say, well, when you were five years old, you did this and this. No, he talks about the fact, she, she's referring to the fact of him calling the sin out in her life and then revealing himself and saying, you know what? But things can be different. Things can be changed. She tells everybody about Jesus. She goes into her town. She says, I, you know, I know that there are, uh, you know, she doesn't sit there and, and begin to think about what people's opinions are of her. Because I'm, I'm sure if you've had five husbands and the one you're with now is not your husband, I'm sure there are people in that town that had their opinions of her and they weren't very favorable. But she doesn't care. You don't ever say, hey, wait, wait, wait. 
stop the whole thing about my, you know, the husbands and everything else. i got to tell you something. No, she goes on and just tells them about Jesus. She doesn't care what other people do. The thing is, is that just like, just like what it says in Luke chapter 6, verse 45, says, For out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What's in, in her heart? She has a heart that is void of, of all kinds of things going on in her life. Obviously, she's had five husbands. And the one that she's with now is not. There's a void in her life. But something changes at that moment. And it's filled with something else. Or it's filled with someone else, and it's Jesus. It's filled with the living water that he presents to her. It is filled with the living water. So out of the, oh, the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. She's like, he changed me. There's something that, you know, that has changed, and I'm going to begin to tell other uh, people about it. And the thing is, like it says in, in Proverbs 4, uh, 4, 23, it says, Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. Why am I reading all these verses about that speak of your heart? Because it's what is controlling her. What has changed her heart? What has changed her life? Your life, your heart, is what's going to control what you do. Whatever you're passionate about is what you do. Whatever your passion is, that's what you do. You can sit there and, be, and work over at Dollar General, or you can be out in the fields, you can do whatever. But what do you do while you're working? Where's your mind at when you're working? What, is, it because, is it, oh man, I... I hope it gets to 4 o'clock or 5 o'clock so I can get out of this place. I had a 9 to 5 job. I know how it is. I haven't always been a pastor. I'll tell you that right now. Or is your mind set on the things of the Lord saying, you know what, Lord, there has to be another opportunity. And when I punch out of that clock, say, thank you, Lord, for all the opportunities you gave me today, but tomorrow, that's a new day. The thing is, is that we are to control, our, control and, and guard our heart. Why? Because you guard who or what you treasure. Do you not treasure your children? Do you not treasure your family? You know that if you have a sibling, I have an older brother, and him and I used to get on each other's nerves all the time as a kid. But we, uh, him and I, we would be willing to die for one another. I remember there was a time where this one, there was one guy, he, he knew that he couldn't beat up my brother because my brother's always been bigger, which I discovered this a long time ago, so I don't know why the guy all of a sudden felt like he was actually going to beat up my brother because my brother's always been bigger. So what did the guy do? He came after me. And as you could tell, I'm, 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 I'm massive. I mean, I'm just, you know, I, I hit the gym like, you know, three times last year, and... Um, this guy comes up to me, he's just like shoving me. I'm like, I, you know, like, you know, what's your problem? You know, I don't, this is all before I was saved too, so. But, you know, I was just like, what's your problem? And he's trying to fight me and everything else, wants to fight me. And I'm like, I don't know what your problem is. Someone goes and tells my brother. And my brother comes over, does some things. And then later on, he goes, I'm the only one that can beat you up. Because you guard what you treasure. You can have all the conflicts and everything else in your family, but you know what? When push comes to shove, you got their back. And how many of you know that family does not have to be blood? I consider every single one of you, and you're my family. 
And the thing is, is that I've had, we've been in youth ministries and everything else, and I told every single one of them, I said, you're one of my kids. They said, if somebody messes with you, they mess with me. And they're like, oh, yeah, you're big. I said, I don't care if I get, you know, the tar beaten out of me. I said, I'm at least stand up for you. I said, because you're my family. The rest of, uh, the rest of, John, uh, of Luke 6.45 says, A good man out of the good treasure of his heart bring forth that which is good, and out of an evil, uh, evil man out of the evil treasure of his heart brings forth that which is evil. Make sense? Whatever you guard is what you treasure, whether it's evil or good. There's our, there are evil things, there are sinful things that we treasure. Why? Because we treasure them. But if we truly love the Lord... We're going to treasure that good thing in our life. We're going to treasure what God has done in our life, right? So she's out. Meanwhile, we have the Samaritan woman. We don't even know her name. We just know she's a Samaritan woman. She's out testifying, sharing Jesus with everybody. But the thing is, back with Jesus and his disciples, they're probably trying to figure out what just happened. They came back from lunch. The disciples are just like walking back, and all of a sudden this woman's just going out there and telling everybody about Jesus, yelling down the street. Verses 31 through 34 says this. It says, In the meanwhile, his disciples prayed, saying, Master, eat. But he said unto them, I have meat to eat that ye, not, uh, ye know not of. Therefore, send the disciples one to another. Hath any man brought him ought to eat? Jesus said unto them, My meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Is Jesus tired? Is he hungry? Yeah, we know this because in the previous verses, he said he sat down because he was weary and he wanted a drink of water. But what does he say? He says, my meat is to do the will of him that sent me and to finish his work. Notice that it says meat and not milk. What is, meat, uh, what is the meat that he's referring to? Well, let's, let's look at something that, he, that he's doing here. Over, uh, turn your Bibles over to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. 1 Corinthians chapter 3. This is what he's referring to. 1 Corinthians chapter 3, starting at verse 1, it says, And I, brethren, could not speak unto you as unto spiritual, but as unto carnal, even as unto babes in Christ. I have fed you with milk and not with meat, for hitherto you were not able to bear it. Neither... Neither yet now are you able, for you are yet carnal. For whereas there is among you envying and strife and divisions, and you, are you not carnal and walk as men? Open up to Hebrews chapter 5. Hebrews chapter 5. And it's going to be at verse 12. Hebrews chapter 5 says this. Hebrews chapter 5, starting at verse 12, through the end of the chapter. For when, for when for a time you ought to be teachers, you have the need that one teach you again, which, uh, which be the things, the uh, first principles of the oracles of God, and are become such as, a, uh, as have need of milk and not of strong meat. For every one that uses milk is unskillful in the, in the word of righteousness, for he is a babe. But strong meat belongs to them that are full age. 
even those who by, uh, by reason of use have their senses exercised to discern both good and evil. What he's referring to, the thing is, is that I believe that this is, these two passages are referring to the modern church. You say, well, how is that possible? Do we not have envies and strifes and everything else? The thing is, is that what he's saying is, is if you went on to the meat of the word instead of, uh, instead of staying on uh, the milk of it, things would be a whole lot different. Don't you have to teach your baby what to do? That's, the, that's what he's referring to as far as the meat, or sorry, as far as the, the milk. Most modern churches today are still on the bottle. They're not on the meat. That's why you have all this, all this fighting, all these envyings, all these carnality. That's why you know, the church looks more like a, you know, a nightclub than it does a church. And there are some of us in here that should be on the meat of God's word by now, but are still on the milk. They want to be adults in the faith, but yet they're still sipping on the baby bottle. You know why? Because they don't want to get into God's word and actually you know, read what it says. You know, the, you, know the, the me, uh, you know, the milk he's referring to are basic principles, like salvation. We have people fighting and arguing about that. Things that are basics that they have. And the thing is, is that in Jude 1.20 it says that all of us should be building ourselves up in the most holy faith. We should not be sitting there waiting for somebody else to tell us what we believe. You say, well, pastor, isn't that what you're telling me right now? Yeah, but you should be going back and forth making sure I'm telling you what's right. You shouldn't be coming in. My thought is, this is what I, I think that you know, meeting on church on Sunday you know, is for. It's for, building up the, uh, it's for the building and equipping of the saints. It shouldn't be like, okay, come here, go get your bottle again. Personally, I think we should be on the flame and neon of God's word. We should be having that steak. How many of you like steak? I mean, I'm just saying, you know, like me and everything else, I'm just, you know, I like vegetables, but I can never be a vegetarian. I got, you know, I'm too much of a meditarian. You know, I can't, I can't go on that. But the thing is, is what is his will? How do we know his will? His will is seeing people saved. That's his will. He's not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. God's word tells you what his will. I have, I have heard people time and time, I'm just trying to figure out God's will for my life. You know what God's will for your life is? Telling people about Jesus. That's what you, you're like, oh, I don't know if God's called me a pastor or anything else. Well, while you're waiting for that door to open, why don't you tell somebody about Jesus? Because what I find for most people saying, I want to know God's will for my life is, is an excuse because they don't want to actually know. Oh, I'm just trying to figure out, the Lord hasn't revealed it to me. It's amazing because you're sitting on your rear end and not doing anything. Pastor, you can't say that. I just did. Dive into God's word. Leave the bottle behind. Get out and share Jesus. Why? Because he's the living word. And finish the work. That's what we're called to do. You think that we have a different work than what Jesus Jesus said that he's called to finish the work. Do we think that we're better than God? That, you know, that we don't have to actually do what he did? Which was... Share the gospel with people? Verse 35 through 38 says this. Say, uh, say not uh, you, there are yet four months, and then comes harvest. Behold, I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. And he that reaps 
receives wages and gathers fruit unto life eternal, that both he that sows and he that reaps may rejoice together. And herein is that saying true, one sows and another reaps. I say to you, reap that uh, whereon you bestow no labor. Other men labored, and you are entered into their labors. What is he saying? He's saying, for one thing, we're on a team. Do you know that? We're on a team. It says, uh, it says there are yet, don't, don't, don't say that there are yet four months and then comes the harvest. He says, the harvest is ready right now. The harvest is here. It's white and ready for go. I don't know if, you know, I know that other people have said, you know, that, you know, what he's, you know, referring to is like wheat fields and that they're white. Every time I looked at the wheat fields, they're not white. They're kind of like a little golden color. I, uh, I like to believe since, you know, we're in Crowlersville that it's like cotton and that um, that's what the fields are and it's, and it's ready to be harvested. There's a reason my wife, you know, enjoys because she enjoys when it's right around harvest time. Because, as you know, we don't really get that much snow. My wife loves snow. But she at least knows that around harvest time, when there's cotton, there's southern snow, so it looks like there's a possibility of snow. So she's like, ah, it kind of helps. But he's saying that the harvest is ready. The harvest is ready. He says, Behold, I I say unto you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, for they are white already to harvest. Farmers know... I'm not a farmer, but I know that when I see cotton that's white, it's ready to be harvested. I'm not even a farmer, and I can figure that out. The thing is, is that it's, it's most likely, it's probably, you know, you know, for grain, but I'm going to go along with that. But American Christianity has this mindset of, what's the least that I can do and still make it to heaven? Do you know that? The mindset of American Christianity is, what's the least that I can do and get out of hell free? But God calls us to do something more than just sit back and relax. Do you know the, the reason why that you're, that you're saved is because somebody did something a little bit more than just sitting in a pew? And yet you're saying, you know what, I'm too good for that. If we sit back in a pew and we don't tell somebody about Jesus, about what God has done in our life, I almost would rather, actually, you know what? I would come out and say that you're not saved. If you don't want to tell somebody about the one who saved you from hell, there's a problem. There's a problem. I was much like this woman when I got saved. You could not keep my mouth shut about, you know, talking about Jesus. I was at work telling people about Jesus while I was taking orders, you know, at Steak and Shake as a server. I told everyone. I had my parents, who I just talked about this, you know, earlier this morning, saying, you know what, it's okay to go to church, but you don't need to be that zealous. I'm sorry when somebody, when, when my Savior died because I don't have to go to hell, and he did all that for me. Well, even while I was yet a sinner, he died for me? I'm going to tell somebody about that. I'm going to tell somebody. If you have somebody that has, say you're out there walking, all of a sudden somebody jumps in front of you to take a bullet for you. Are you not going to tell other people about it? And yet you had one who died to deliver you from your sins and say, you know what? You're worth it. And yet you say, nothing. There's something wrong when that happens. 
But you know the thing is? I'm sure glad that Jesus didn't and doesn't think the same way that some do in American Christianity. I'm glad that his word says in Luke chapter 15 that he is willing to lead the 99 to go after the one. That I'm that one. You're that one. That the world says, that doesn't make sense. Why would you leave 99 people to go after one? It doesn't have to make sense. It makes sense when all of a sudden it happens to you, but it doesn't make sense when you're living in the world. It doesn't make sense. But I'm glad that God did it. That God you know, says that I'm worth it, that I'm going to go after you. I say, thank you, Jesus. And we Christians should be more willing to go after the one than just to sit in the pew and just take it in. I remember watching this movie. I don't know if you, you know, people have seen it. It's called Schindler's List. The entire movie is about the concentration camps and what happened to the Jewish people. But there's a man named Oskar Schindler who through the entire time of World War II when all the concentration camps are happening and everything else, he's, wanting to, he's like taking people in to give them menial tasks so that way they don't die in the gas chamber. You know, it's like if there was a, if there was a job for a person changing the toilet paper rolls, he probably made it because he wanted them to be there. And by the end of the movie, World War II ends... And what ends up happening for most of them when that all happens is that people are looking for those that, that persecuted them or killed their relatives because they want to take them out. But they actually come after Oscar Schindler to thank him. And the most, I don't know how you can watch the last part of the movie without like, like ugly crying. That's the only way I cry. So if you ever see me cry, it's going to be an ugly cry. I can't do that like, I can't do those movies where they go, boop, a little tear comes up. <gasps> I can't do that. I cry, it's ugly cry. You can talk to my wife. I'll sit up there and I'm like, <gasps> you know, the face is all red, you know, whatever, and I'm just hyperventilating and everything else. But you come to the end of that movie, all these people are thanking them for what he did. And the only thing that he can do is pull out a pen and then he says, this could have been one more. Looks at, his, looks at his car and says, that could have been four more. That could have been this. And he starts going through everything. That I have, he had a suit on and says, that could have been one more. And he begins to go through everything that he has, whatever possessions that he has left, and begins to say, I could have got more. I could have done more. I could have been so much more. This is what Jesus is doing with the woman at the well. He's saying, you know what? I'm willing to go after that one. He's not, he's not saving an entire village. He's saving one person. Who's the one that tells everybody about Jesus? She does. He goes after the one, and it just catapults into everything else. Here's the thing. How many of you know that when you look out into the harvest field, somebody's got to go harvest it? There has to be a farmer to go do it. Is that work easy? Farming is hard, and so so is living the Christian life. But let me tell you, both are worth it. Both are worth it. If you just sit there and see the harvest field and you don't do nothing, what happens to that harvest? It dies. It, had to, it, does, it has no purpose. It doesn't do anything. 
Some will say, you know, reading this entire story and look at this, you know, you know, uh, this account with, with the, uh, the woman at the well, they'll say, well, see, pastor, you don't, I, I don't have to go out and tell all these people one-on-one evangelism works. Yeah, it does work. They say, well, this is the only way to do it. This is the only way that we have to go about it is just doing one-on-one, and that's the best possible way. Let's keep reading. Verse 36 says this. And he that reaps receives wages and gathers fruit. What's the fruit? People. Gathers fruit unto life eternal, and that both he that sows... And he that reaps, he that reap may rejoice together. How many of you know that when you share the gospel, not necessarily every single time you're going to reap something. Sometimes you got to sow. Sometimes you got to plow. Sometimes you got to break up that you know that hard ground that's going on. There says one one sows, one reaps. We are on a team. The work of evangelism is evangelism is is planting and harvesting. Not everybody can always get the, you know, the glory for one thing, but somebody's got to be willing to do something. Verse 38 uh, says, I sent you to reap that whereon you bestowed no labor. Sometimes somebody's already going to have you know, uh, done the labor for you, and you just come over there and you reap. Other times you're going to have to be the one that's sowing, and then somebody else is going to come and reap. The witness of one brought many. The witness of one brought many. When we look at, uh, we look at the situation, that witness brought many. Just so you know, um, we have spring forward, so the clock says 10.15, so I have like another hour. Don't worry. <laughs> Some of you are going, ooh. But that witness brought many. Because Jesus was willing to, go, uh, to, to, to just go and see that one, what happens? An entire village comes and gets saved. An entire village believes on the Lord Jesus Christ. Look at verses 41 and 42. It says, And many more believed because of his own word, and said unto the woman, Now we believe, not because of your saying, for we have learned ourselves we know uh, and know that this is indeed the christ the savior of the world what ends up happening yeah she tells what god did in her life but they say you know what we don't believe we don't just believe just because you told us but we believe because we've experienced it we we know that he is the messiah we know who he is you can show somebody jesus all you want but until they take hold of it and realize it for themselves it doesn't mean anything just like the, the old saying, you can lead a horse to water, but you can't what? Make him drink. The profession of, uh, of faith that she has not only brings that, uh, that, uh, others you know, to them, but they end up believing in that entire village is saved because of one person doing a menial task, listening for the Savior. In those verses... The result of this entire situation is that one changed life changed other lives. We have on the wall out here, it says what? Save people, serve people, and that we also, that save people or change people. We need to tell people about the change. 
Who is the change? Jesus. Evangelism doesn't, uh, I don't care whether or not, and God doesn't care whether or not you do one-on-one or you do it in front of an entire crowd. He wants you to be just like Nike and just do it. He wants you to share the gospel with him. You say, well, you know what? I, uh, I just haven't seen the opportunities. I guarantee there are opportunities because God's always going to open up doors for you. If you have that heart, that passion that says, Lord, I want to share you with somebody, God's going to open up a door. Let me tell you some things that happen when you share your faith with people. Your hands get sweaty. You're like, well, that's nasty. You get a little nervous. You're going, Lord, what do I say? You know what happens in those moments where you say, Lord, what do I have to say? And you start getting a little afraid and a little fearful and your hands get a little nervous and you get a little shaky and everything else? It's because God's going, you know what? You have to trust on me now. Because God's word says that when you're willing to share your faith with somebody else, he's going to give you the words to speak. So you, don't, you can sit there all you want and be like, oh, I remember when I was reading in, you know, about um, you know, uh, Naaman back in the Bible. God's going to give you the words to speak into that person's life. There's been many a times where I've shared my faith with someone, had not read that verse or chapter or anything else, and all of a sudden it came in, and then all of a sudden, like that night in my devotionals, I'm like, oh, pretty awesome. It's in the Word of God. That, that, happen, that happens for anyone. I'm not, like, I'm not special just because it happened to me. The, the thing is, is that what you need to do is get into God's Word so you can share it with someone. And the thing is, it doesn't matter how many years you've been saved. Whether you've been saved for one minute or you've been saved for a hundred years, it doesn't matter. Go share what God's done in your life. And the thing is, is that there's, you, know, you have people going, well, you know, uh, because my grandma's saved or so-and-so. The people in here didn't believe because they grew up in church or because grandma, grandpa, aunt, uncle, mom, dad, whoever, they believed because why? They believed because they thought, you know, they believed that it was true. They knew what he had done in her life, but they said, you know what? Now I know that it's real. You must experience it for yourself. Here's one of the things that, one of the verses I kind of passed over last week. It was inadvertent, but I'm going to go back into it. If you have, uh, chapter 4, verses 23 and 24. But now the hour comes and now is when the true worshiper shall worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father seeks such to worship. God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. What does that mean? That the mind, the soul, the heart, all laid bare before the Lord when we worship the Lord. Does that only mean during a service? No. It's when we say, God, you know what? I don't want to hide anything from you. I just want, I just want to bless you. That, that my mind, my heart, everything is laid bare because you know what? I can't hide anything from you anyways. That there's a sincerity and an honesty everywhere that I go at all times that he will reveal himself and I have a desire to know him more. Do you know what it means to be baptized in the Holy Spirit or have the Holy Spirit? It means that you want to be holy. I'm sorry if I see somebody that says, I, I've been, you know, I got the Holy Ghost, and they're going around acting like a fool and everything else. I'm like, you don't got the Holy Ghost. All you got is ADHD. That's all you got. Well, I can go run around the church and everything else. And yet they're going around leaving, uh, living like a heathen the rest of the, you know, the other six days of the week. And I'm going, you know what? You don't even got the Holy Ghost. It's a really disappointing thing when, you, uh, when 
Most believers want the hype as opposed to the Holy Ghost. They want the hype. They want the lights. They want all the, you know, the little shivers and spines and everything else. And the thing is, is that you can have all that and miss God completely. I'd rather have Jesus. I'd rather have the Lord. Our unseen worship is our response of what Jesus has done in us, and he has transformed our life. We worship him by what? By telling others about him. Often this kind of worship is unseen and often ridiculed and mocked because most people will look at you as being holier than thou or taking this Christianity thing too far. But Jesus didn't candy coat anything, and neither should we. Why? And how did Jesus do it? How did Jesus uh, uh, not candy coat anything? He showed them the truth, which is himself. Jesus showed himself to other people, and the thing is, is that that's how we show others that we love them. And the thing is, is that if we think that we can be a believer and not be mocked or ridiculed or anything else, like I said before, I've said this time and time again, that the gospel in and of itself, you begin to share it with somebody else, is going to be offensive. You don't have to be offensive. The gospel is, itself is going to be offensive to some people. Actually, to a lot of people. You know why? You start telling people that they have to you know, like leave their sin behind and you know, follow. They get mad. They like their sin. They like the evil that they do. I have a few questions. I want you to answer. I want you to begin to think about this honestly. I'm not going to have you raise your hand so that way everybody goes, ooh, look at them. Answer this question. Do you love Jesus? Do you tell others about him? If you said yes to the first one, but you said no to the second one, why are you embarrassed of him? Because if you truly love Jesus, you're going to tell others about him, and you're not going to be embarrassed about him. I may be, you know, seem, uh, you know, strange and everything else, but when I've told people and I've gotten macho, ridiculed and everything else, when I told others about the Lord and they made fun of me or did whatever, some part of it, you know, inside of me all of a sudden had a joy. You say, that's weird. I said, yeah, you know, if I wasn't in Christ, it would be weird, but the thing is that I'm in Christ just like, just like, you know, all the apostles, when they were, you know, apostles and prophets, what did they do? They shook the dust off and they went rejoicing. Why? Because they were counted worthy as their Savior was. Are we embarrassed of Jesus? You say, I'm not embarrassed. But if you don't tell people about him, then you are. You just don't want to admit it. This woman had every single right to be embarrassed. Everybody knew that she had five husbands and the one that she was with, you know, didn't have... It wasn't her husband. She didn't care. She told everybody about him. If I could have every head bowed and every eye closed. Evangelism is worship. If you're not embarrassed, of, uh, not embarrassed about him, then tell somebody about him. Because if you don't, the harvest that is already out there, the harvest that's already there is dying in them. And it's time for us to actually reap the harvest instead of letting that harvest die. When we are in love with someone or something, we show pictures to everybody, we go around and tell everybody about them. 
We tell what they did for us and we can't even keep our mouths shut. 